We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or a grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hey everybody, welcome to the Rotowire Football Podcast, uh, the DFS version. It is Friday, August 2nd. I am Scott Jemstead, joined again today by Andrew Laird. Uh, we are sponsored by Yahoo Fantasy Sports. We greatly appreciate that. Uh, also, if you could please rate and review the podcast, that goes a long way towards uh, helping the podcast too. If you're enjoying listening to us to start the year here, uh, we'd be uh, very appreciative if you uh, left some good stars, some good comments. That would be fantastic. Uh, Andrew, it's uh, we're finally in August. We kind of sort of had a preseason game uh, last night. Apparently, that's uh, that's what I heard. Uh, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, August now feels like we should be talking about football. I realize that people yeah. have been talking about it since March, but like August is for me at least like the official start of starting to think about football. <laughs> Okay, before we uh, today, we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do some uh, talking about how we uh, research and, uh, and and deal with positions in DFS. We'll go through each position, uh, kind of talk about what we look for, what we don't look for, what we do with percentages, cash game, GPP, that kind of stuff. Thought it'd be a good topic there. Can I ask you a Jets season long question before we go there though? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> wow. A lot of fire right there. Yeah, uh, I was just curious. You're a Jets fan. Uh, what's your take on on Le'Veon Bell in the first round? Uh, I'm uh, I'm kind of back and forth uh, whether I want to do. How do you feel he's going to be fantasy wise this year? 
I see no reason to think he'll be anything less than great. Like he was one of the okay. best players in the league when he last played. Uh, I don't want to say that he's like well rested, but like theoretically he should be well rested. Uh, and he's like the like talent wise, he's the best player the Jets have had in a very very long time. Uh, so th- you would think that they should revolve everything around him. Uh, but right, Adam Gase has some interesting opinions on football, and so I you know it wouldn't shock anybody if. At some point during the season, somebody's like, wait a minute, why are they not using Le'Veon Bell as much as they should? But I have to I have to think that a player that good needs to be getting the ball enough to certainly justify first round pick. Do you put him among those uh, right at the edge of those top five running backs or a little bit more towards the end of the first round? You would probably put him in there if he had stayed in Pittsburgh, right? Like if we 100 percent. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously things are, you know, he's not in Pittsburgh, but like. I, I don't know if he's there yet only because football seems like one of those weird things that like it, it like really physically like crushes these guys, but also being away doesn't help. And so I think, you know, it might take a little while for him to get, get fully back into it. But like you, I, I can't, I, I see all these people like, oh no, he's, he's well behind all these, you know, Melvin Gordon, who might not even play the first few, you know, like. All these guys right. who are sitting out, and uh, I just don't see how people are just so easily tossing aside Le'Veon Bell. I think James Conner's success makes people think Bell's not as good as he actually is. Uh, but come on, man, he's like an elite player at his position. Just weird. Yeah, I mean, for the every Jets. time I look at it, I'm like, oh, Adam Gaze with Kenyon Drake last year, but like that's Kenyon Drake. This is Le'Veon Bell. You got to figure that. Uh, you know, say what you want about Gaze and his press conference and all that kind of stuff, but he, he appears to be a very smart football guy. You got to think he's going to use his best asset. And Drake's not like the full fledged starter in Miami still. <laughs> this is now like a second right, coaching, exactly. uh, uh, coaching uh, or coach, excuse me, who's like looked at Kenyon Drake and not immediately been like, yes, you are definitely our starter. Uh, I just wanted to get a little bit of take on here that because uh, Bell's an interesting first round guy, and you know we're uh, we're we're DFS oriented, but we can talk talk some season long too. We probably will uh, in this next month here as we get close to drafts and all that kind of stuff. But uh, let's jump back into DFS. So talk about positions uh, this week. Uh, I want to start at the top and talk a, a little bit about stacking with you. Uh, you know, stacking is you know playing two or three guys from the same team, kind of trying to correlate those guys. If uh, you know Drew Brees throws a touchdown to Michael Thomas, you're suddenly getting done. Double the points because you get the you get the passing yards, you get the passing TD, you get the receiving yards, the receiving TD. So obviously you can kind of you know it's hard enough to predict in football what's going to happen, but if you can get one event that helps you in two different spots, obviously that's pretty significant. Uh, most GPP winning teams you see there are the rare occasions that this doesn't happen. Most teams have some sort of stacking going on, whether it be something like that or maybe you know two guys three guys in the same game that's a, a shootout back and forth usually you're doing some kind of correlation where you know you don't have to hit you, you have to hit on so much as it is it's, it's nice to kind of pair those up um before we get into gpp and cash games how you do that how do you feel about stacking in general are you someone that you know every gpp you have a quarterback receiver uh, how, how do you feel about it in general it's it, the they kind of go counter because with gpps it, it's just so hard to get a high enough score without right. like decent correlation in your lineup and so if you're building a GPP lineup that every player is isn't correlated, I mean, meaning they're all individuals, um, it, you're just putting yourself kind of behind everybody else who's going to get those. You basically call them double points, even though they're not quite the same. But like, um, right. yeah, 
you'll probably go 17 weeks looking at all the GPP winning lineups, and there's going to be some sort of stack there, whether it's quarterback, wide receiver, two wide receivers, uh, wide receiver, tight end, like there's, or meaning quarterback and those guys. But like, um, it's just such an easy, like you're overthinking it. If you're like, maybe I won't correlate this week. Like maybe that's how I'll differentiate. It's like, no, 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 you're, that's a mistake. Uh, but strangely, like cash games are kind of the other way. You don't necessarily want to stack too much because if it doesn't work out, you're totally dead. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting point. How much do you still stack in cash games? I know mean, you're more of a cash game player. Do you uh, like what? Are most of the time are you doing a quarterback wide receiver? Most of the time are you not? Uh, it it really depends on the week. But like the yeah. the way I tend to look at it is more on the cheaper guys. Like I'll correlate. Like if I'm paying down a tight end, I might as well take the tight end for the quarterback that I have because at least that you know if I'm not sense. expecting a ton, I might as well get the correlation there. But I mean. I I understand if if you think it's a great week for some specific quarterback wide receiver combo, like it's not like you shouldn't stack in cash games, but it's more that that it's such a significantly more valuable strategy in GPPs. What about uh, some sneakier stacks? Everybody talks about quarterback wide receiver, quarterback tight end. You know, obviously they they correlate pretty easily. Um, the one I like to do sometimes is running back and team defense with the thought that if my running backs, uh, you know, has a lead carrying the ball uh, late in the game, it's good there. And also that's good for the defense. The other teams kind of coming from behind passing, you know, not as good a team. Um, I think that running back defense is one that, you know, people don't obviously jump to that. It can be an interesting one. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it certainly makes sense from like a football standpoint. I mean, it, just like you explained, like if another team is kind of trying to get, uh, or if the team is way out, then they're going to be running the ball a ton, and then the defense theoretically played well. Uh, but at least on DraftKings, like the the points that you get for uh, how many points your defense allows, and the and the point deductions as they allow more, uh, really doesn't. It's not that big of a difference where you're like, and and their shutouts in football are just so rare that yeah. you don't necessarily need uh, to focus on points allowed for defenses we'll get to defenses later so um but yeah that being said uh teams that are like desperately trying to catch up and if you have a defense who has been you know a high pressure defense theoretically then like turnovers can happen and like that's where we really get our defensive points so i mean the more the ball's in the air it seems like it's it's easier to to create some sort of turnover i mean plays take a little longer to develop so you have a longer time for a sack that could turn into a fumble or there's or that increased pressure then leads to an interception so like the, the correlation is definitely there, but you actually have to realize like why it's there. And it's not just because of the points allowed. Yeah, totally. That's, that's a good point too. What about, uh, you know, quarterback and a pass catching receiver, like a, a Tom Brady, James white kind of thing. Are you, uh, are you one who, who kind of goes for that? I definitely get it. I mean, the, the odd thing is, is that usually with the, you, you know, you have like your bell cows, um, where depending on the guy, whether he catches the passes or not, but yeah, like, the, the James Whites we saw with Austin Eckler, although that might be a little bit of a different situation, uh, at least at the beginning of this season. But uh, it definitely makes sense. Uh, you tend not to like want to pay way up for guys who pretty much are just pass catchers. Um, but if you can get like the Tariq Cohen last year was like grossly underpriced for how many uh, balls he was catching. So like that definitely makes sense. Like the the way that the NFL is now, most guys or you're you're going to get receptions at every position. That doesn't mean everybody's going to get all these catches, but like there are guys at each position that will catch a lot of balls. And so don't ignore running backs, certainly on DraftKings, which is full PPR. Like don't ignore guys who like running backs that are like just catch passes if they're going to get 10 targets because 
th- that's actually more valuable than the 10 carries that they might not get that th- that game. Absolutely. Now, what about a uh, you know what about stacks that you don't aren't a fan of? Are there like would you ever stack a quarterback with a you know a volume dependent running back? Say like a a Zeke or a Melvin Gordon. Like I am one who does not usually will not, will not stack a Philip Rivers Melvin Gordon thing in a GPP just because I just think that you know the, the Chargers have to score fifty eight points for that to work. You know if you you're, if you're playing a GPP, you want Rivers to throw four touchdowns. You want Gordon to score twice. It's just really hard to get that without it being correlated. Grant Gordon can catch a pass. I'm just using, using that as an example. But um, I tend to avoid um, a volume dependent running back and a quarterback together. Is that something you uh, will do in a, in, a, in a GP situation or you avoid that, too? Uh, I think the reason I tend to avoid it and again, with the way that like DFS prices change every week in situations like every week is different. So I don't want to, like, you know, at, if you ever hear somebody be like, you should never do this, like that. That's not right. There's no there are almost no nevers in, in right. DFS. That's a good point. Yeah, that's true. So um the so you'll get those pass catchers but the thing is if you think like a, a quarterback is going to have this huge game like if you think if it's maybe they don't score 58 points but if you think it's 40 points and you're like but i think they're all coming through the air um that's when you end up having to pay up for a, for a quarterback and a wide receiver from that team or take two wide receivers right. from that team and now you've basically priced yourself out of melvin gordon or you know whoever it is like you're not going to pay if, if you think Dak Prescott has some huge game and you're like, I, I love this Dak Amari Cooper combo. Um, you're not going to have a lot of money left for Ezekiel Elliott. And so it almost like, I don't want to say it saves you from yourself from making that good from going down that, <laughs> that path. Um, but like, that's, it, you almost, again, you, you take yourself out of it because, um, if you do that, I mean, now the Cowboys have to score 58 points and it has to be those guys like any sort of uh, defensive right. touchdown special teams. You know, it's those are touchdowns that are not coming from your guys. Yeah. And we'll talk about running backs here in a bit. But I mean, if you're taking Ezekiel Elliott, you want them in a game where they're going to be running the ball a bunch of second half. And that just yeah, can, it kills the fact of taking a quarterback as it is right there. Yeah. And, and again, like he can catch passes, although Zeke's not catching usually not catching an 80 yard bomb and so it's like you're you're not getting right <laughs> a, a ton of volume you're getting these like low uh low a dot uh situations yeah and there's there's always spots where it does happen i always see screenshots people like oh i told you running back quarterback can work here's one example of a gbp in week six it's like I get it. There are spots where can work those games <laughs> where the quarterback and the running back does go off. But we're talking about, you know, making the good percentage play week by week. And you, like you said, every week is different. But, um, you know, for the most parts, I think that that's, uh, that's a spot you usually want to try and avoid as, aside maybe a, a special circumstance. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how you should look at it. Like, I, I would like to avoid this situation. If you find yourself in it, I mean, it, again, it can work. The odds are against you versus the odds of other combinations working. But uh, you know, if if it's going to happen one out of a hundred times, or you know, let's call it even twenty out of a hundred times, like there aren't a hundred weeks of football, so you need to really increase your odds every week because, like, we look at um, like DVP and all this stuff, and like a seventeen game sample is like really still not that big. I mean, what, right? And that's at the end of the season. Like, what you, you can't really rely on that in week two, and so um, you know, you just got to take the hype you know certainly in cash games cash games are all about like doing what you think is the most likely thing to happen and take the best odds of these things of these situations occurring uh gpp obviously you kind of can go off the rails a little bit with that but um but ultimately you want to make the the lineup that will perform more often um because we just don't have 100 slates to play 
don't let uh, don't let Roger Goodell hear your hundred week NFL season idea. He might jump all over that. <laughs> oh, um, so as coming. we jump into as we jump into quarterbacks, uh, let's talk about kind of how we research, how we decide on positions um, with quarterback. I think I mentioned it last podcast. I'm one person that I don't really worry about percentages with quarterback. Uh, on a full game slate, you're going to get so many options of quarterback. I'm usually taking the guy that I think is going to be the best. It's the best situation. It's the one spot in DFS where I might, I might be on, on my own in this one, but I don't worry about percentage. I just play the guy that I want to play. Yeah, I think it's it's certainly reasonable. We've talked about that kind of in previous uh, podcasts. Yeah. Just that, um, and and it's not like they're like wide receiver where there are so many more, but like there really aren't. Um, there usually is not like a single quarterback that's going to be so highly owned that you either need to have him or fate are fading him because of an ownership percentage. And so um, I actually find quarterback to be one of the last positions I fill. Like I very rarely start a lineup and think like, okay, which quarterback do I need to have this week? Um, and sometimes, you know, somebody's grossly underpriced and it's like, all right, I'm, I'm going to take this guy. But right. I, I, I really can't think of a situation where I'm going in like, okay, I absolutely have to pay up for Aaron Rodgers this week. Because the what's interesting about quarterbacks, at least though, and there are running quarterbacks kind of throw this idea out. Rodgers doesn't run quite enough to justify it. But like if Aaron Rodgers has a huge game, a huge passing game, then there are receivers who also have had big games. And like I oh, yeah. think, and you're like, well, you're locking up all of the passing volume with Rodgers. And it's like, well, it's actually less valuable from the quarterback. Like the receivers, there's no one, there's no point per completion. It's a reception. And so, you know, you get those points. Like I tend to think who's going to benefit from Rodgers' big game. And then at the end, if I have salary left for Rodgers, okay. But like usually quarterback is not the, the place where I'm, where my decision tree is starting. And then I'm like, all right, how do I pay down at all these other positions because I'm paying up for Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, that's a uh, that's a really good point. It's something that I, I probably should do a little more. I tend to sometimes start with like a, my quarterback receiver stack and, and go from there. Whereas uh, it's a good point on the receivers are the ones that get the point per reception, they get more points per yards, all that kind of stuff. So you're looking at the, the passing volume. Really, you start the receiver and kind of go backwards. That's a pretty good way of looking at. It. How do you deal with running quarterbacks? You mentioned that like we're gonna have we have Kyler Murray this year. We got Lamar Jackson starting, and you know last year he ran the ball a ton. Uh, they're, they're gonna pull back on that a little bit. You just can't can't uh, you can't put that much uh, that damn that much damage on running the ball that much. But get throw a little more, but still will run a lot. How do you deal with running quarterbacks? You know, when we look at quarterbacks, it's always like, hey, here's the passing yards, here's the passing touchdowns, you kind of work it out. But running quarterbacks seem to be a little bit more variable because, you know, they break that 25-yard touchdown run. that It becomes a huge week really quick, but it's, it's hard to bank on that. So um, how do you handle a running quarterback in DFS? I will almost go all the way and say I prioritize them. Um, like running quarterbacks okay. today are so different than running quarterbacks like five years ago even. Like we, if you... I mean, you realize that like the, the rushing yards from quarterbacks are just so valuable because uh, yeah. not all of them just, get them, and they're it worth, builds a huge it builds a great floor right exactly there. exactly and yeah. they're just I mean the they're more valuable than the passing yards and so like there's no reason anyone should like ever really think of rostering Josh Allen but he runs the ball a ton so now we're like he's not so bad like he's yeah. a terrible quarterback like let's <laughs> let's be honest here um, so but. That that okay. rushing you're gonna, have, you're gonna have Bills. Mo- yeah, I mean that's Moffin that's all fine. over you now. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'm a Jets fan. I have to. Do, <laughs> this is what I have to do. It's a contractual go. obligation. Um, <laughs> but 
so you get this this great floor and like sure they might throw for 140 yards but if they're rushing for 140 yards like that's great and like and that's obviously an extreme but like we are seeing like significant rushing yards from guys like Allen or uh Lamar Jackson like you said like Cam Newton is like known was known as like the rushing quarterback he had all these rushing touchdowns and like we barely even talk about him in terms of like the best rushing uh quarterbacks now and yeah. I mean, the big thing is, is that we were look. We used to look at rush, running quarterbacks like guys where plays broke down and they were able to do something with their legs. And now, plays are designed to get these guys into space. And like we said, like Lamar Jackson may pull that back a little bit just for his own safety. But like, right. if that's what's happening, like that is gold. And so, um, you know, there, don't don't just think about passing yards. Like it's as simple as that. Like there are enough guys who run the ball now. Where you have to think, like, if he's not going to have a good passing game, can I can you still get sixty rushing yards out of him? Which used to be crazy, but for a quarterback, yep. but like now we're getting it. Yeah, and sixty rushing yards right there is what one hundred fifty passing yards, same right. amount of points. Right. I mean, that's that's a that's a huge that's a huge start with the floor. Yeah, it, it's you 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 have to consider it because and that because there are enough guys that do it now, and I'm actually curious to see if we if these guys start getting priced up just because of the rushing yards, because they end up being more valuable than the passing yards. Yeah. And uh, it, it, it'd be interesting to see with Kingsbury in Arizona, what they do with Kyler Murray. Obviously he's a guy that can do that if they need him to. I don't know. He's also a small guy too. So they got, they got to really worry about how many hits he takes, but that's going to be a fascinating offense to watch the first few weeks and kind of see what we get. For sure. Yeah. That I think he's going to be the one that everybody really looks at and that more for his size than anything else, because um, you know, one big hit and, because because he's because he's my height. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And by the way, for people who don't know me, that's not a good thing as a quarterback. Um, uh, what about like game script wise? As you're looking at quarterback, uh, you know, I'm obviously it goes without saying you're looking for a high over under. I, I like a really low point spread. I'm looking for that shootout. I'm looking for that 38 35 game that we've talked talked about uh, in the first couple of podcasts um you know you want your quarterback having to throw the ball in the second half the worst thing you get for your quarterback and sometimes you can't control it is you know you get a you get a defensive touchdown and the running back breaks when suddenly it's you know 21 to 3 at halftime you're like uh, my quarterback's dead yeah uh <clears throat> but you can't really do anything about that like you, you can't you read the game right the, yeah. the touchdown just came from somewhere else uh that's one of those uh process over results bailouts but um Absolutely. yeah i mean that's that's certainly what you look for i think we we look at things like we want the guy to be throwing in the second half or and <clears throat> as we're getting ready to watch preseason games or at least hear about preseason games like yeah please hear about <laughs> um yes. like starting quarterbacks tend not to come out of games like it it has to be such a colossal blowout for teams right. to to actually pull quarterbacks but that doesn't mean that they're still throwing and teams that are behind but the teams that are behind will throw um, we kind of touched on this previously, like if the game, if a game has a huge spread and, uh, you're like, well, I'll take the underdog cause he'll be throwing all the time. And it's like, well, volume is nice in some positions, quarterback, not always just because they, they could throw interceptions. If it's, if it's that bad, they're throwing interceptions as much as touchdowns. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, like you said, you want to target these high total games with the, uh, with tight spreads, because theoretically the quarterbacks will be playing and trying to score as much as you can. Although, uh, again, like we saw with the Saints last year, everyone's like, oh, Drew Brees, the Saints score a ton of touchdowns. And it's like, well, they actually run a ton. And so you yep. don't necessarily want to kind of gloss over um, the team when you're looking at the game script. 
So if you have a if you have a quarterback in a say a fourteen point spread but a high over under, are you are you one of those people like well you know Brady might throw four touchdowns in the first half and gets all your points there, or are you one that uh, pulls back off that because you're worried about the second half? Uh, well, the Patriots are absolutely sorry. Absolutely, sorry for that example. No, they're absolute murderers. So I actually <laughs> wouldn't cons- like hesitate on that at all. I've seen uh, enough games where the Jets lose end up losing forty two to three or something like that because the, the Patriots don't let up. So it, it depends on the situation there. But right, of course, that um, was an example. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. But uh, that one hurt a little bit. Uh, we'll, sorry, we'll get to that hurt in a little in a while. But, we will. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want it, to. It's one of those things that like you're not going to ignore it if a game has a high total and a huge spread that means one team is going to score a lot and if you think the quarterback is going to be responsible for it there's no reason to be like well i don't know about the second half and it's like if you get four touchdowns in the first half the second half doesn't really matter yeah that's a, that's a good point it's just it, it's hard to know that they're, they're going to throw for those passes but I, I tend to i tend to pull back off those a little bit uh, in, you know some situations like you mentioned the patriots are a team that uh, you know notoriously uh, will not uh, will not ease off the gas pedal so that that's a good thing for dfs too so uh, it really depends on the situation i tend to i tend to look for a, a little bit of a, a closer spread sure. um i tend to uh, i tend to look usually uh, not maybe the top two or three price quarterbacks i tend to kind of get in that second tier but that obviously is week by week too but uh before we jump into running backs a note from our uh, title sponsor yahoo it's officially july which means football season is around the corner and yahoo fancy introduced a new fancy football game called best ball that lets you get in the action now with best ball you draft your fancy football team and that's it you don't do a thing once you've drafted the team. Each week, the top scoring players in each position on your roster will automatically count towards your weekly score. Forget about the time commitment. No waiver wire, no trades, no adding and dropping players, no having to make those tough start or sit decisions. Focus on the best part about fantasy football, the draft. Tired of doing mock drafts for your fantasy team and having the best, having other players drop out early and not finish the draft? Free best ball leagues give you the most accurate ADP uh, or average draft position or players before the season starts. Can't get enough fantasy football but don't want to manage those teams all season? You can draft to 50 best ball teams on Yahoo. Play for free or play for cash. Most importantly, good to draft in with Yahoo Fantasy Best Ball. Join the league today at yahoo.com slash best ball. Um, so for running backs, uh, when I'm looking at the slate usually, uh, I kind of tend to break it down into you know the top end elite guys, the mid range guys, and the cheap guys. Let's start with the top end guys. Uh, when you're looking at your uh, your Zeke's, your Le'Veon Bell's, your David Johnson, uh, how do you decide each week? You know which one of those guys you're going to use that week. It usually starts with matchup. Like it's very rare yep. where one of these top guys, you know, there's like this overwhelming case of why you shouldn't play them. Like they're the top price for a reason because they get a ton of volume, they catch passes, they score touchdowns. Like the that's what that's why they're at the top. Um, and so you generally go then to matchup, and matchup you know leads you to to game script, and ultimately like that's that's the decider. Uh, and Usually, if there's one very clear guy um, because of his matchup, then you know he's going to be highly owned. Like it, it's very that is very simple. Like if yep. if you have somebody with a great matchup and he's high priced, but you know he's going to get the ball a ton, like that guy's going to be owned. And so you make your corresponding decisions from that whether you want to fade him in GPPs because you know everyone will have him, or you target him in cash games because he's the most optimal play. Uh, it's easier actually in GPPs because again, there are other high priced running backs who can do very good things and maybe their matchup isn't quite as good, but it could be that that means they're going to get the ball more because it's a, it's a tougher met, you know, closer game. They're going to get more touches as opposed to the guy with the fantastic matchup. Who's up 35, nothing at the half with, uh, with a top end running back with the 
a good matchup in a cash game. What kind of percentage do you do you see? Like uh, you, you play more cash games than I do. What's uh, you know, say say Barkley has a really good matchup. You know, what uh, what type of percentages do you, do you guys reach in that level? Yeah, you know, obviously the size of the double ups, um, of course, yeah, affects it. But I mean, you can see guys in the forty to fifty range. Like it, okay. it can be that drastic, and it, it it becomes very drastic on the low end. Um, in terms of if guys, you know, if there's a injury and now all of a sudden, right. Paul Perkins becomes somebody we want to play. You really like to you really like Paul Perkins. You brought right? up Barkley. I'm just <laughs> just going down the depth chart. Uh, that's a that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, in in GPPs, I usually I usually see like twenty to twenty five percent maybe for those top end guys with a good matchup. So you know, reaching enough for percentage where it's interesting to play some game theory there. And like you said, you know, Barkley has a great matchup. Maybe Zeke doesn't have quite a good matchup, but you're like, you know, Zeke still Zeke is going to touch the ball a lot. You know, maybe that's a, a good spot to uh, to move away from Barkley and go with someone that's you know as big of a stud that you can, can blow up at any time. Yeah, you just you don't want to get into the mindset of like the this guy has the best matchup and thinking that means nobody else has a good matchup. Like exactly. It's possible that there are that all you know the top 5 all have great matchups and you're like and then then it becomes a little more fun because not there isn't somebody who's going to be you know as, as highly owned. Uh so you can benefit from that, but like Again, like don't don't take like your one decision and make that make everybody else look terrible just because your guy looks really good or at least the guy that you're considering, because it's possible that you're very high on a game, but the other game could be just as good. And don't don't like cloud yourself just because you're like, this guy is definitely the best matchup. And so I'm going to play him. Yeah, and obviously we don't know percentages ahead of time and stuff. But you know, as as we've mentioned before, you know, read read as much as you can, listen to many podcasts as you can that you you find valuable. As you listen to stuff and read stuff through the week, you could, you could pretty much get a feel for who 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 a lot of people are on each week. Yeah, the the term lock is like the one of the worst oh, DFS the worst. terms I've ever it. heard, but it's everywhere. And as so, a sports betting person, I I hate that word. Yeah. Too. Oh gosh. Yeah. So the worst. there's just uh, you know there's. There are people out there who's like, this guy's a lock this week. And usually they're not like going really out on a limb to on that call. But like, no, that if you see enough of the, you know, Zeke's a, a lock this week and there are enough people who see that and they're like, oh, all right, I'll just let me lock in Zeke and I'll go from there. And then you know what to do from there. Yeah, I think it's pretty easy to figure out week by week who who, who the public is going to really be on percentage wise. Uh, what about game flow wise, your top end guys? Do you want guys that are, are favored or you know game flow and game scripts not as, not a, as much of a worry here in the top end where guys are going to touch the ball no matter what uh yeah yeah at the top end it's all usage like you know that they're going to get the touches and so if if the game flow does seem like they're not going to touch the ball you need to figure out are they not touching the ball because he already has three touchdowns or are they not touching the ball because they're actually significant under you know they're terrible whatever it is um it, you never want to like ignore the game script, but like all of these guys on the top end are going to have the the usage. It's just a matter of whether you think the usage is going to continue. Um, you know, it's not like they're losing touches to somebody else if, if they're down. Like if they're trying to come back, some guys stay on the field forever. So like it doesn't. You know, you don't want to yeah. go too crazy with uh, with fading guys just because you're like I don't know if he's going to play in in the second half or you know yeah. again it's not not playing in the second half. It's it, they're they're right. still going to play. And there were there were a couple times last year where Saquon they were you know the Giants were down and they just dumped it down to him over and over he had yeah. double digit catches you're like this is great that they're down because that you know Manning just literally dumped him every single play right. it was this is as far as he can throw now and so it's like all right that's perfect <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's uh, you're not gonna get any, any Eli any Manning uh, disagreement for me on that. <laughs> 
Uh, what about the mid-range? I, I really like the mid-range. Uh, this is a spot where I, I feel like, you know, some research and studying and all that kind of stuff can really get, get you in a good spot. You know, these are guys maybe, you know, running back uh, 8 to 20 on the on the list, or maybe 8 to 15, something like that. 20 is a little low, but 8 to 15. You know, I love guys in here that, uh, you know, usually they're okay, but they have a really good matchup this week. So you, you get maybe a guy like LaShawn McCoy, Lamar Miller, you know, in a perfect matchup. These are guys that you know are going to touch the ball. And, you know, those those two instances are probably uh, those are a little dated. This probably a couple of years ago, but guys in the middle range who have a really good matchup, I tend to find uh, are really good spots to find plays. Yeah, and, and they usually, if you do your research correctly, they usually stick out. Like you're like, they wait do. a minute. So, and 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 those situations are always nice because you're like, oh, I'm not sure. You know, everybody's everybody always talks about the top end, um, or if there are a few cheap guys, you're going to want to play them. So I agree that that middle ground certainly in GPPs is great. McCoy has definitely won some GPPs from people. Um, he's also murdered plenty of lineups, but R- rumor has it. LaShawn McCoy is a very uh, good name in our house. Oh, okay. There see, there you go. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, uh, you know, because they all seem to be clumped together and you're, they're like, why is this guy any better than this guy? Um, that's where you do like, that's where you find your kind of lower own guys. Like nobody, uh, I mean, were you like super excited to roster LaShawn McCoy that week? Well, they were playing the four, they were playing the 49ers defense. So that week I actually was. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, but it's funny that the, the week I had, I had my big week is actually LaShawn McCoy and Lamar Miller. So apparently those names just lodged in my head. Yeah, forever. as they should be, as they should be. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think w- ultimately what you want in those situations is do any of the guys in this range have the possibility, like if the game script goes perfectly for them, are they uh, going to be, as used as the top end guys, like, can I get the same yep. production? And, uh, you know, again, the, the reason the top end guys are the top is because they're more consistently there. And so you're, you're paying up for knowing you're going to get, you know, 20 carries and eight to 10 catches. Like those guys are there. And the mid range is these guys can get there. They're probably not, but in the right situation, could they move up to these top end ru- running back uh, levels? And, Every week, there's at least one, if not two, that do it. And so um, you just, you know, look at the matchups. You know, if the if you know the usage is there, then that's that's easy. Um, and so it's not going to happen every week where the guy that you take in this mid-range matches the ones in the top. But there there will be a guy, at least one, every week that does it. Yeah, and the nice thing is, you know, you know, you don't quite need the numbers of the top-end guys, but that mid-range guy, and maybe that lets you get a top-end receiver that you weren't yeah. able to get. I mean. Yeah, for sure. It's all about there is a salary cap in this game. It's all about fitting guys in. So while while we all want to play Zeke and Barkley every week, you just can't do it and be productive everywhere else. So there's you got to find money somewhere. And this is always a spot where I like to I like to find at least one guy every week where I think, uh, you know, performs up near the top end for a mid range price. And those can be gold when they work out right. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it's the the hardest running back work is right there. In terms of like, Uh, so what about the cheap guy? Yeah, absolutely. What about the cheap guys? You know, this is usually all about opportunity. Uh, you mentioned someone like Paul Perkins. If Barkley's hurt, you know, all of a sudden he's, he slots into that main role. We had a guy last year we talked about a lot, James Conner. The first couple mm-hmm. weeks was, uh, you know, filling in for Le'Veon Bell, who was holding out. Uh, and he, he was, you know, priced down. He was just a monster for everybody. He got to be a huge percentage eventually pretty quick, and he moved the price moved up. But it's usually about opportunity. It's usually about an injury. It's usually about a suspension, a holdout, something like that, where a, a guy who usually is not expected to get the volume and is priced down suddenly, you know, falls in a spot where he does get the volume. Uh, I think this is what we talked about before. This is where high percentage really comes into play. If you have 
have a guy like that in a GPP. You know, these are guys that can approach 35, 40 percent of GPP because everybody in the world's talking about him. Everybody knows that, you know, player, you know, running back one is, is hurt. Everybody knows that in, in this football world. And obviously everybody's looking for that second guy. So how do you deal with the cheap running backs? I assume in a cash game, you're just like, whatever, I'm playing these guys because, you know, volume at this price is 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 pretty much a, a really good thing. But then GPP wise, do you tend to do you tend to fade them? Do you tend to be like, ah, you know, they're, they're, they're too good of a value? Uh, how do you deal with the kind of the cheap running backs in DFS? So, yeah, like you said, cash games, they're it. Like, it's, yeah. it, you really don't even need to overthink it. Um, it's it, a lock, right? <laughs> <laughs> almost got me into that one. Um, it, so I tried. Yeah. The, the, arg, the pros and cons of playing them are just so one-sided, certainly in a cash game. Like, the cons, like, I'm not sure what they are. Because if everybody has the same guy, even if he's terrible, everybody else has him. And... You have better guys elsewhere because this guy's so cheap. And that doesn't mean to like just pay yeah. down, it, like just throw away one spot so you can pay up elsewhere. But like that's why people do it. It's not only I'm going to get the production using DraftKings prices here. Like I'm going to get the production of a $9,000 running back for 4500 just because of usage. But it's what you do with that extra money that now you're like, wait a minute. Now I can get another I can get that stud running back and this cheap guy and a stud wide receiver and my quarterback's pretty good too like that's what you do with it for gpps like i understand fading that spot for leverage in case he's terrible but the problem is is that all of those people um unless you're you somehow found another cheap running back but if you didn't all of the people that you're playing have better wide receivers or better tight ends than you because they were able to take that extra salary and spend up at the other spots and so what you want to do is the the right fantasy analysis is everybody's going to pay down for this guy because he's he's now the starter and he still prices a backup and you're going to take that money and you know take Antonio Brown this week and what you want to do for GPPs is take the cheap guy and don't take Antonio Brown right yeah no that's a, that's a good point I, I think that it's key that you know a lot of people are like oh you got to play this guy but a lot of people are like oh you got to fade him is too high percentage, but it's more about building it, building a way. I mean, you could take a high percentage guy in a GPP. You just have to make sure you differentiate yourself a little bit elsewhere. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's. I think people don't take that second step of of the fading part of like if you're going to fade somebody, what are you going to do with it? And then, or if you're not going to fade somebody, at least fade the guy that everybody's going to because of the extra salary. Like that's where you can differentiate. You don't necessarily have to differentiate on the one specific guy that everybody has. Right. I play a lot of DFS golf, and that's kind of the same way. You got a guy that if you think guys can win the tournament, but he's 30 percent owned, just make yourself make yourself a little bit different elsewhere. It's your it's your total percentage across the team. It's not just that one spot you have to focus on. Seem like a very normal human being to play DFS uh, or PGA DFS. What's wrong with PGA DFS? I, I just I feel like I've never heard anybody. <laughs> I mean, and this is back to like I spend too much time on um, DFS Twitter, but like I don't. Maybe it's you because it just seems like nobody wins money playing PGA DFS. There's like a lot of money out there, but everything it's, I see is like, oh, is. my, I, I, I did this and I did, this is why I hate P- And I've never seen a positive thing about PGA DFS on the Internet. It's uh, a positive thing I would say is it's really, really fun. If you like a golf fan, golf is kind of built for DFS. It's yeah. over one weekend. Uh, you have Friday. You have the, you have a big cut on Friday. So you've got like this huge cut sweat on Friday that you got to get your guys through. And then if you do, then you got the weekend. It's a, it's a very fun game, but it's very, very difficult. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I know the difficulty. I, I think the, I've played sporadically just because, um, there are enough it's people there. who play and I'm like, yeah, it's there. Yeah. And <laughs> the, 
the fact that it's in it, that like a, my losing lineups are sitting on my screen for four days. That's why that's when I was like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I like I know that I lost like I lost on Friday and yet I'm there Saturday afternoon. And it's like, just get off my screen because I know I wish you could just give up. You're just like I like accept the loss and DraftKings just takes it off my my screen. <laughs> I, uh, I had a pretty good uh, I had a pretty good GP win last year. I was third in the out of I don't know probably fifteen thousand. So I had a pretty good win. So I'm about, I'm playing a little bit of house money, not a huge win, but a good enough win that uh, I don't feel as bad losing uh, right now just because okay. it's uh, I'm playing with their money a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, I'll take that. But, I'll take that. But it's uh, it's tough. You gotta you gotta get six guys with the cut. You gotta make it. But anyway, I'll get to, I'll move on. I can talk about golf for an hour or two. Whatever you want that. <laughs> Um, last thing on, on cheap running backs, how do you deal with like the, the, the pass catching specialists in DraftKings? You know, I always use, I always use Theo Riddick as an example, not a good one right now because he got cut, but then he got signed by the Broncos. Uh, how do you deal with that? You know, sometimes you get a, a pass catching guy like Dion Lewis or someone like that. You get really cheap in, in DraftKings. You know, it's not consistent every week, but you know, if you can get eight, eight, eight catches, all of a sudden, you know, these guys become valuable really fast. Yeah. I think that's what you need to do if you need to pay down a running back, like forget about how many carries a guy is going to get. It's all about catches because that, you know, getting your points there. Eight, I mean, eight catches for zero yards is worth 80 rushing yards. And Crazy, like, but yes. And you're not going to get 80 rushing yards, most likely, unless a guy is a starter like, and, or the guy just breaks one off. But the, the odds of you getting this look like a backup running back uh, without an injury to the starter to get 80 rushing yards in a game is just highly unlikely. And so at least, I mean, eight catches is a lot also, but there are guys who just play on passing downs and they do catch, you know, let's even call it four or five catches. Um, that's so much more valuable than you're going to get of a guy who is in the same situation on the depth chart, but doesn't catch passes. Like wh- where is the upside there? Whereas in, you can, if you can see some pass catching upside, certainly on DraftKings, although even in half, half PPR, like it, those are points that like guys who do not catch passes will not get. And if you're right. relying on those non-pass catchers to get carries, now you're going to have to get them enough carries where they're rushing for 40, 50 yards. And it's just so unlikely. Yeah, and you mentioned the eight catches for zero yards, but obviously that you know that doesn't happen. You usually get four or five catches exactly. for forty-five yards, and exactly. all of a sudden you're at you're at eighty, you're at eight and a half points, and you throw a touchdown in there maybe, and suddenly you got a guy that it really is a, is a pretty good play, and it's just. It, 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 it's not an obvious one. It's not one that sticks out. But uh, you know, game script comes into comes into effect here. If you've got that running back that catches all the dump offs, and you think it tends to be down in the second half, you know, suddenly it becomes a guy that is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, the the way you just have to look at it is if you're looking at a number of cheap running backs and thinking like, who do I want to take out of this group? Um, you have to think for every. If you look at one guy and said he's definitely catching thirty yard thirty, or excuse me, he's definitely catching three passes. You have to look at the guy who doesn't catch passes and say, is he going to rush for thirty yards? And if the answer is not even close, then you've made your decision. Absolutely. So let's get into the real pass catchers, the wide receivers. But first, a note from our sponsor, Superdraft. The future of daily fantasy sports has arrived. Experience Superdraft's exclusive game mode, Multiplier. Say goodbye to salary restrictions and hello to lineup freedom. Use your fantasy sports knowledge to draft any player you want and build your very own dream team. Countless lineup possibilities let you experience daily fantasy sports the way you want to. Superdraft offers contests for NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, and PGA, see Andrew, PGA, you so you can enjoy the best of DFS all year round. Sign up for Superdraft today using promo code ROTOWIRE and claim your free $5 in Supercash and a free $3 entry for the, with your first deposit. Download in the App Store or play at Superdraft.io. Superdraft, no limits, more winning. 
So wide receivers, uh, I kind of break it down like I do running backs. Uh, you know, the pricey guys, the elite guys. We're talking, you know, Antonio Brown, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Tyreek Hill. Now that he's not suspended. Then you got the mid-range wide receivers and the cheap guys. Let's start at the top, though. Uh, obviously, the top running, uh, top wide receivers are all really good, but a little more variable than a top-end running back. You know, a top-end running back, you can pretty much count on a certain number of touches per game, barring any you know injury or something extreme in the game. Pricey wide receivers, you can count on the targets, but doesn't mean that you know they're necessarily going to have big games. You know, DeAndre Hopkins and Devonta Adams are really consistent guys, but Antonio Brown has you know yard, games where he catches you know six balls for you know forty-two yards, no touchdowns. It does happen. You know, he even has you know three catch games, so they're a little more very with the top end guys how do you deal with these stud wide receivers week to week i tend to uh, i mean you go right back to matchup uh, I, I feel like that's the answer for everything but um the the difficulty with the the difference between the top end wide receivers and the top end running backs is the running backs it's much easier for a quarterback to hand the ball off to a running back and that's like a touch that he can get points right. on whereas like it sounds so stupid but like the wide receiver needs the quarterback to get him the ball and so um, stupid, but true. I mean, it works. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, you just need to look at the situations of like what where where are we most likely to have X quarterback get my guy the ball as often as possible. And so um, if you have like a, a high priced running back who has like not a great game, it's still possibly touches the ball 15, 20 times. And and again, if if he does nothing with them like that, that happens. But, like, if a wide receiver has a really bad game, he has, like, three catches for 30 yards. Just like you said, like, that's horrible when you're paying all the way up for this. So the you, there's definitely more stability at the top-end running back, usually, than the top-end wide receivers. That doesn't mean not to pay up for wide receivers. But there are also significantly more wide receivers to choose from. I mean, there we have more spots to fill. Um, there are more of them on the field. And so the possibility that... Um, a guy from a lower price range can match the top guy is more likely than the running backs just because there are more of them. And so um, with with the top end wide receivers, I think you look at matchup um, because you, you probably you basically know that the target volume will be there. But the like you said, like it's not you don't get points for a target. You get points for receptions. And so you have to figure out if these five guys are all going to get 12 targets today, who's most likely to catch all 12 balls? It's funny. I mentioned Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams this season last year was absolutely crazy. He did not have a game last year where he didn't score or have at least 80 yards. It was the most consistent – Receivers. DeAndre Hopkins had it two years ago. He was really close to that too. But like his worst game without a touchdown was 81 yards. His worst game with a touchdown was six for 40. And we're talking 16 fantasy points in PPR every single week the whole season. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Yeah, it was crazy. And Chris Liss is just crapping on the guy still all summer. But <laughs> ates him. Yeah. Um, but so yeah. what about? Sorry. What ahead. about the the opposing cornerback? You know, obviously there's a big thing. You've got guys. You get you know the old Deion Sanders like on an island covering the best quarterback, or best wide receiver guy. Um, I tend to worry about these. You know, on the extremes, uh, Xavier Rhodes, uh, Patrick Peterson, like the really really stud high end guys. I will pay a little bit of attention to. For the most part, uh, I don't pay a lot of attention to because you know wide receiver just takes one big play obviously you know guys are running in motion you know things get switched and matched out every once in a while you get guys that follow receivers somebody's like richard sherman plays one side of the field not a receiver that sort of thing uh, how do you play the opposing cornerback i know a lot of people that are really into this and i'm not quite as much into it as most people i understand why people are really into it but it seems like they go into it thinking that the offensive coordinator will do absolutely nothing to figure out how to get exactly his wide out on some you know guarded by somebody else so like I think there are extreme, like you said, there are extremes. And so 
in those situations, it's like it's not a deal breaker by any means. But if there's somebody else, like if there are two guys that I think are fairly could be similar and one of them's up against Xavier Rhodes, it's like, I guess I'll take the other guy. But like, it's not something like Xavier Rhodes is, you know, I'm going I'm avoiding him all season because there's nobody ever does well against him. Like there are enough ways where wide receiver, like elite wide receivers get the ball um, enough that you can make it happen. I mean, I feel like we saw this with DeAndre Hopkins a few times last year where I was like, Oh, it's such a tough matchup. Blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden it's like, he has another DeAndre Hopkins game. Like the guy's ridiculous. Yeah. And so, so good. Um, like it, it's part of the process for sure. I mean, that's part of your matchup research of like, he's not going to have the perfect matchup. Um, but can he overcome that? And for, for these stud guys, the answer is usually like, probably because it, it, there's just enough, you know, even these elite guys, there's so little contact that they can do now. And, um, obviously like a pass interference down the field gets, you no points, but unless you're in those air yard leagues that haven't, ex- haven't opened yet, but, uh, I don't know. It's, I think I, I know why people are so adamant about it, but, I feel like there's just not enough research to be like, you cannot play guys against them because no one has ever succeeded. I'm also very upset you didn't use Darrell Revis as an example. Oh, I would have been, considering he had an actually Revis Island nickname. That yeah, been, exactly. That would have been better, but, you know, Dion's my dude. He was on the Niners for a year. They won a yeah, Super Bowl, yeah. so, you know, it happens. I get it, I get it. And obviously with these pricey guys, you're going to want, you know what, targets. You know, as you look at game modes or game logs, uh, you know, you want guys with double-digit targets every week. And there are those guys. You look at DeAndre Hopkins and, you know, getting double-digit targets in a majority of games. You know, obviously their offense is built around getting him the ball. Um, you know, that's why they're that's why the top end guys that's why they're expensive uh, but make sure that uh, you know y- you want your target guys i mentioned uh tyree kill uh usually to price the top end but he's a little more variable you know relies on that big play and you know he has those games where he blows up but he also has the games where he's, he's not quite as uh you know not quite as involved they shut him down and you know the chiefs will go somewhere else whereas the texans and the packers are going to hopkins going to adams do you consider someone like tyreek um, for you more of a gpp guy and someone you avoid in cash or is it kind of a week by week thing it's weird because I feel like because of his speed and we see all these like highlight plays where he's just like totally burning people. We're like, I feel like in my own mind, I'm like, he's more like the Deshaun Jackson type, but like, he's not like, he still gets a, a, a good number of targets. Um, he scores a number of touchdowns, but um, I don't know. I don't, I, I very rarely look at that group, like the, the Hill Hopkins Adams and be like, he'll, Hill definitely should be in this range, but like, I don't know. I, they, they clearly do, uh, do enough to like get him the ball. Like they'll run him on a sweep and stuff like that. But I don't know. I, I, I have him in like a slightly, you know, the top of the next tier. Okay. Um, just because I think, um, the, the, I think he had one 10 catch game last year and like, you know, it, it's a very arbitrary number. Ten, I mean, and that, and that was the, uh, that was the chiefs Rams ridiculous game that I think yeah. you throw throw been the most insane game of all time. Exactly. And so, um, I mean, he double digit target targets is again, it's one of these like round numbers that we're like, Oh no, that's good. As if 10 targets is so much better than nine. Um, but you know, he just doesn't have as many double digit target games as the other people. And so, um, it's weird to think that, uh, you know, you want guys who are very efficient with their catches. Um, but you, but like volume is really what you're after first. Uh, and so if a guy has, you know, 15 targets, you want that guy as opposed to the one who has nine, just because he's, that's just more opportunities to do something. Uh, even if he's slightly less efficient. 
Yeah, I mean, you could just flip through the game logs of the, of the three guys we're mentioning. You can kind of see the difference. You know, Tyreek Hill has the the 13-yard game with no touchdowns, the 50-yard game with no touchdowns. There's just, they're just more uh, up and down. But then he has the, you know, seven for 142 for three touchdowns. You mentioned the Rams game. He was 215 for two touchdowns. So that it, there's just a little more up and down with someone like that. And it's someone that I think is a little more of a a little more of a GDP guy in the top end. You know, when you get big games, you get huge games out of him. And uh, so it's a, he's an interesting guy that uh, kind of week by week, uh, I kind of figure out how I think that the Chiefs are going to attack and game plan and go from there. Uh, what about the mid-range? We talked about the mid-range running backs uh, you know there's just a lot of them mid-range wide receiver there's a lot more because obviously you have multiple wide receivers on every team uh where do you start to go here this is a spot that i think you know it really is is where you win tournaments where you do well in cash games is, is finding this mid-range wide receiver whether it be wide receivers two on a team that's getting a lot of targets or you know the best wide receiver in an offense that maybe doesn't blow up and he's not a top tier guy uh, how do you go about attacking this mid-range it's a tough spot because there are so many guys week to week in here yeah i tend to value the guys um, I think it just kind of breaks down that I tend to value the the number one wideouts on worse teams than the second wideout on very good teams, only because okay. the wide the the number one tends to get more targets. Like, and it's not always the case. Um, you know, it obviously depends on team how much teams are throwing and whatnot. But like, ultimately, I'm still like always just looking for volume. And um, in situations where it's a clear number one, but the team's not that good, like. If, if I know the ball is going towards him, even if I think the team only is going to score 14, 21 points, like at least in cash games, like you want the volume there. And so like, um, actually I'm, you're not even looking at just the, the number one teams, like thinking of the bucks last year, like Mike Evans was obviously, uh, up there significantly, you know, wherever you put him in that top tier, but like guys like Adam Humphrey, like I had Humphreys in a cash lineup probably way more than I should have last year. But like you have guys that are, he's probably even more in the lower tier, but um, you have these guys that like, if they can get five catches for 50, 60 yards, like that's actually perfectly serviceable. And for the salary that you're getting paying for that wide receiver versus like a running back or a tight end that can, you're not going to get somebody with that kind of production. So you're always going to find guys in that range that, um, that have the targets and you just have to make sure they're there that week. We talked about the extremes, the cornerbacks, you know, the, the Patrick Peterson, the Xavier Rhodes. Do you uh, do you look for an offense of those teams? You look for the second wide receiver, you know, maybe the guy that's going to get the better matchup. There's obviously, you know, teams that don't cover the slot well. Like, how much do you look at defense in terms of this mid-range wide receiver trying to find, like, little sneaky spots that maybe they struggle in as a defense? Uh, I mean, it's definitely, like, just part of the research. Like these, But like you said, like, these guys are terrible against guys in the slot. Uh, I think the important thing right. is to see like who those slot guys were. I think we a lot of times we um, people look at kind of season long stats are like oh they're terrible at this. And in football, like you were saying, like the sample size is so small that it's possible like in the first five weeks of the season they played the five best slot receivers in the yeah. league, and it's they like play, they're they terrible. Played Keenan, Keenan, they played Keenan Allen twice. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so you're like oh these guys are terrible against guys in the slot, and it's like well they're actually just playing the elite slot guys, and now you're making this jump of like the whatever slot guy you have that week. And you're like, he's, he should be great this week because they're playing this other team. And it's like, well, look, look at why the stats are as they are like that. That applies to every sport. I, I deal with it in soccer too much, but like for football, like the, especially early in the season, like they're getting killed. Like uh, they can't stop the run. And it's like, well, if they're playing three very, um, high percentage running teams early on like that's why they're they're just getting the, the volume is there and so they're seeing all these 
these runs and maybe they're not that good. And uh, so maybe the, maybe you shouldn't make your decision based off just that stat. So, but anyway, so um, I totally get that second wideout uh, playing, uh, you know, against the Vikings or whatever. But um, I don't know. I, t- I tend to, you obviously want number ones first because they're number ones because they get all the targets. So like, I don't know if I would necessarily like prioritize a wide receiver two on a elite team or playing a, an elite cornerback because he theoretically has the easier uh, matchup, but um, I, I I get it. I get it. Yeah, and this is and this is kind of the spot in GPPs where you find your blow up guys. You find this is where Deshaun Jackson, Marquise yeah. Goodwin, uh, you know the the guys that are going to catch the seventy yard touchdown, but you know might have two catches for twenty two yards. I mean that happens a lot with guys like that. You know it's important to look at game logs and look at these guys, and you'll see the up and down that you get. Uh, whereas you know the top end guys are more consistent. Um, are you like? to play guys like that in GPP? Or are you more looking for uh, you know guys with a lot of targets? I know cash games obviously looking for volume and targets. Um, in a GPP, how lucky are you to play these guys? We talk about these as GPP guys, but uh, what do you do with these type of guys? Yeah, that's that's where I play them, or else I would never play okay. them at all. So, uh, I mean, the the when you pay down like that, uh, you're you're not going to get ten catches for 120 yards uh, because those guys it just doesn't usually happen in that price range. But if a guy, you know, explodes for a touchdown, like though you want to, you want these guys who can score on any play because uh, they're more likely they're more likely not to do it <laughs> on most plays. It only takes one, or you know, sometimes you get a second one. Uh, whereas these other guys that are, uh, you know, getting six catches for, you know, sixty five yards, like that, it's not going to get you far enough in a GPP, as opposed to guys like uh, Peak Deshaun Jackson. Uh, and the cheap end of wide receivers, you know, there's a lot of guys that are priced down. There's a lot of guys that, you know, third, fourth wide receivers on the team. So there's a, lot, a mass of guys down there. When you're looking for guys down there, I think, you know, usually I'm looking for kind of guys that are sneaky in terms of, you know, oh, this guy has seven or eight targets the last three weeks, but hasn't really done a ton with it yet. You know, you're looking for guys that are more involved in the offense than people think. You're looking for people that are kind of, you know, blowing up a little bit within their own offense. And then guys that, uh, you know, may emerge in a big shootout game. We talk about Rand. Rams, uh, you know, Rams Chiefs from last year, you know, the cheap guy in a big, a big shootout game is someone that can fall into some good production. Yeah, no, I think um, that's definitely the key. I mean, that's uh, where like analyzing air yards really helps like air yards uh, for those who aren't aware, are literally the number of yards between when a quarterback throws to a wide out and how many yards are in between how long the ball is in the air. And so if they're, if somebody's um, you know, scorching down the field and it's eventually a pass interference and the ball traveled 46 yards in the air, like it's 46 air yards. You don't get any fantasy points for that, but at least the air yards tell you that this guy is being targeted deeply. And so um, those are kind of some of the guys that may, you know, maybe they're not catching all of those balls because sometimes the penalty comes back, but like the, um, those are the guys that you, you want to look at the ones that are getting, getting the ball thrown to them down the field because they're the ones who are more likely to score if they happen to catch those. And so those are the, um, you know, there are some of those cheap wide receivers every week who all of a sudden you're like, boy, this guy had, you know, 150 air yards last week, but he had zero catches. Like maybe it's, maybe it was three bombs, who knows? But like, um, you know, it only takes one of those and you don't necessarily want to look for guys who have, um, like low a dots because they're you know it's much tougher to catch a ball five yards from the line of scrimmage and then run the rest of the way as opposed to just catching an 80 yard touchdown and so um what i actually one of the first things i do if i haven't if i have already picked my quarterback and i'm down in the low range like just correlate the cheap guy with your quarterback because at least you're getting some added bonus when like if if that guy happens to score you also get the quarterback touchdown 
Yeah, and in cash games, especially on DraftKings, you mentioned a guy like Adam Humphreys earlier, kind of in the mid to cheap range somewhere there. You're, a guy like that can be really gold. You know, a guy uh, that he doesn't uh, score a lot of touchdowns uh, every week, but, uh, you know, gets eight to ten targets. So the, those sneaky kind of uh, target monster guys that, you know, since they're not well-known, since they don't score a lot of touchdowns, kind of stay cheaply priced can be really good, especially in DraftKings. Yeah, I, Julian Edelman's always the one that, like, people think of. He doesn't score nearly as many touchdowns as people think he does. But, like, or Danny Amendola, like, go, those those are the cash game guys that I unfortunately have to play every week. <laughs> unfortunately, because they're Patriots? They're just, well, that too. They're just not, it's just <laughs> enough. You know, they're not the fun guys who are scoring 80-yard Tyreek Hill touchdowns. Right. That's all. So uh, at tight end, uh, tight end's a, a tough spot. You know, usually you have two or three elite guys. You've got your Zach Ertz, your George Kittle, um, your Travis Kelsey. Then you kind of got the the mass of the middle where you got a bunch of guys that, you know, uh, are red zone targets but, uh, you know, don't have big plays. And you've all Obviously, you always get the cheap guys. You've got the, the guys in the you know thirty five hundred to four thousand range. You you know maybe they get that two yard touchdown and and be a good play that week. But uh, you know aren't gonna get a lot of targets. And you know you know they're gonna get thirty five yards at most. Uh, how do you start with the tight end position? Are you someone that usually plays the top end guys? Do you look for your bargains? I mean, obviously week to week is different. But um, how do you generally kind of jump into a week with tight ends? The the cool thing about tight ends now, and it's kind of along the same line as like rushing quarterbacks, where like the rushing quarterbacks are now. Uh, like the the level of rushing required for rushing quarterback is higher, and so and now we're seeing like the top end tight ends are so much better than they have been previously. Oh yeah, uh, and so you're actually looking at the tight end, the top end tight ends like you would wide receivers. Like some of them get like the like ideal wide receiver numbers, uh, and you're usually cheaper than the top end wide receivers. And so I tend to either pay all the way up for a tight end or all the way down. Like I, I very rarely find myself in that middle range because I just feel like the, the guys in the middle are just, there's no consistency. And so if there's no consistency in that range, why not just go down to the guys who are even lower and save myself some salary for going elsewhere. Um, but I, I think what you're going to see more of this season, um, is people playing two tight ends, like tight end and a tight end flex, uh, either, Either you know somebody like Kelsey or Ertz in the flex just to make them feel better. Don't um, don't li- don't leave Kittle out of there. Or Kittle, of course, of course. I um, take that as a, as a lot of disrespect. Right sorry, now. sorry. It was just for the <laughs> Revis slight. That's all. And now we're, uh, we're we're even. All right. Um, but I think. But even then, yeah. like I think you might see lineups this season with like Ertz and Kittle, like paying up at both for two tight ends and then paying down a wide receiver because like those guys. And and again, this isn't like. There's not like a group of 10. It's basically three or four. Yep. Um, and so like, but I, I think that you can definitely make the case week to week, certainly in, in GPPs. Cause like you could have both of those guys be highly owned, but you know, let's, let's call it Kelsey and Kittle are highly owned in a certain week. But like, I don't think you're gonna see that many people playing both of them. And so no. I think that's going to be an interesting thing to, to watch this season because like I said, these these tight, top end tight ends are just as good as wide receivers. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty much with you. I usually go top end or kind of drop towards the bottom. And I, when I say drop to the bottom, I'm probably not extreme with that. I'm not looking for the dirt cheap guy. But mm-hmm. I, you know, say if uh, you know Kurtz, Kurtz, I can't say I'm talking more. Kittle, Ertz, and Kelsey, they're, they're all similar. Are uh, you know all in the you know. Eight thousand dollar range. I avoid that, like sixty five hundred to eight thousand. They've got to put guys in there, and there's always guys in there. But I usually avoid uh, you know most of those the second tier guys. Maybe the third tier is kind of where I start to look for guys. You know, I look for someone who's uh, you know cheap but uh, has a good matchup or has been going up in targets week by week. And you can see, like last year, Chris Herndon was a guy like that. That you yeah. know. You- 
you could see the targets were coming. See, there you go, Jets. Uh, you could see the targets were coming. So you, you really want to look at targets with tight end. Uh, they're not a lot of consistent guys, but those like the Greg Olson, Jimmy Graham types that are kind of priced, uh, you know, in the secondary tier. I tend to avoid the guys that are so touchdown reliant. Someone gets, especially a guy like Jimmy Graham. You know, if he scores a touchdown, it's a good week. If he doesn't, it's a bad week, and I, I tend to avoid guys like that. Yeah, I, I think the way you'll always look at it is you'll be like, oh, I can get uh, O.J. Howard for 2,000 less than Zach Ertz. And it's like, but you should. Like, there is yeah, a, there exactly. is a clear difference between these two. And, like, I, the the those is really is a three. Like, if you're going to look, it's Howard, like, Evan Ingram, um, yep. Hunter Henry, like, goes, guys like that, like, they're going to be cheaper and they're going to be in that mid range where you're like, oh, they, you know, they they might be fine. Um, but I mean, are they really providing you that much more than like Jack Doyle will or Jordan Reed when he's healthy? And so, like, well, Jordan Reed will probably be up if, if he's actually healthy. But like, I don't know. I just feel like that middle range is so is certainly for cash games just so inconsistent that if like you might get six catches for 65 yards at, you know, 6,000, why wouldn't I just pay 3,500 for four catches for 20 yards? You know, like, I don't know. I just, it, right. The, the guy, the top three guys are just so good that you're going to constantly find yourself like, why don't I just pay down? And you're going to answer that question so quickly when you realize just how inconsistent the other ones are. Yeah. And I find myself being able to find plays I like more dropping down and running back and wide receiver. So it, it makes sense more to me that I can get this mid-range wide receiver paired with, you know, Kittle. Then I can go with, you know, someone like you mentioned, a mid-range tight end pair with a top end guy. You usually can find a mid-range wide receiver I like a lot more than a mid-range tight end pretty easily. For sure. For sure. Uh, before we get to talking about defense real quick, and then we'll talk about uh, a little bit of our uh, gets in your host shenanigans at the end. Uh, it'd be a fun topic today. Uh, a note from our sponsor, Fancy Draft. FancyDraft.com would like to bring you an important message about Rake. Are you tired of paying high fees to play daily fantasy? Do you know that over time, these fees called rate can cost daily fantasy players over 30% of their bankroll? As daily fantasy sites continue to raise rake, prize pools are being squeezed more and more, making it harder and harder for players like you to win. More rake just means more money lining the pockets of the big DFS sites and less money for players. But change has arrived. Fantasy Draft has changed the game by bringing you rake-free daily fantasy. That's right. You're now able to play your favorite contest without paying any rake at all. On Fantasy Draft, 100% of entry fees will be paid out to contest winners 100% of the time. Playing your favorite contest, Rake Free on Fantasy Draft, will save you hundreds or even thousands of dollars in Rake every month. Rake Free Daily Fantasy is truly a game changer. Just imagine what playing on Fantasy Draft is going to do for your bankroll. Register at FantasyDraft.com to take part in the Rake Free revolution. Use promo code RWNFL to receive a free seven-day trial. So, Andrew, before we get to the last topic, we'll, do, uh, we'll talk about uh, some shenanigans. Uh, defense. Defense is obviously a spot that I, I think most people kind of like, oh, I'll take this defense and we'll move on. And, you know, and but then you look at GPP standings and, you know, the guy that got the blow up defense wins the GPP because, you know, he's got good players. But then he, he got 26 points from his defense. A lot of that is variable. You cannot count on touchdowns from a defense, uh, special teams touchdowns, which account for a lot of those points where defense does go off. But um, how do you attack defense? Do you spend a lot of time on it? Do you kind of just uh, look real quick? Like, what do you do with defense? Because I think people, it's a spot where people, um, you know, the research and uh, how people attack it, uh, you know, s- separates more than other positions. I feel like the weeks where the the right defense is the top scoring one is so rare. And yet when it happens, we hear about it so much and like, this is why you need to prioritize. Totally, totally, totally agree. (laughs) And so, uh, it's, it's absolutely the last spot I fill. 
it's I put less thought into my defense than I do any other position because it's just so variable and there are just way too many times where you're like this is the this is definitely the spot you know bears at home against the dolphins and you're like I'm gonna pay for the bears and then they you know it'll be a really strong defensive game but like you don't get points for that like obviously you get some points for uh allowing few points but fantasy points for allowing few real points but ultimately you need like a special teams touchdown or defensive touchdown and like a team like the bears are probably more likely to score a touchdown than than others but like it it's so rare uh it's very similar to a goalkeeper in soccer that um we joke around on on the soccer podcast um goalkeeper and defense may be the most important position to win a gpp and there's really nothing you can do every week to pick the right one. Like it, it's just so random. It feels so random. And even the times that you're like, I'm definitely going to pay up for the bears this week. And then that's the week they don't really do well, or they do really well, but somebody, but the bucks had three touchdowns that week, defensive touchdowns. And and that's why that guy won the GPP. And so if you ever look at GPPs and you're like, man, I, I can't believe that guy picked the whatever defense this week and they did so well. And it's like, I bet he just guessed. Uh, yeah, so that, I mean, that's a good point on defense, and I, I pretty much agree with the with the luck, luck aspect of it. You know, I, I tend to have a formula that I use uh, with defense. It's uh, you know a team that's favored, a team that's at home, a team that's facing a weak defense or a weak quarterback. But I, I like a risk taking quarterback too. You know, you get quarterbacks that you know are really bad, and they're not going to take any risks in the fourth quarter. I like guys like Blaine Gabbert who are going to still going to throw the ball around the yard a little bit and and make some mistakes. That's really what you want when you when you want a defense. I love that. I love that. Um, I I think one of the key things is. If you build the rest of your team and you get to defense and you can't quite afford the defense that you want, I don't think it's worth changing other things to get a defense. Such a such a good point, because I've done that a couple of times and I always regret it later. They're, they're, the, it's just so variable that like maybe you maybe it turns out to be the right call and you're like, oh, I totally should have done it. But like the the range of outcomes for these defenses, um, it, while large, like if there are a few that are in the same price range, uh, you're you're just so much better off going with the the other guys that you put all that time into, and not all of a sudden be like, all right, now I can't play these three elite wide receivers for this perfect build that I have because I want to get the Patriots this week instead of the Texans, and it's like it's it's probably not going to matter. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. Anything else on uh, on defense before we move on? Uh, I- I would love to hear from people who think that they've figured out defense. Like, it, it, like uh, yeah, what, if, you, what, if you if you have a secret to defense, I, I'd like to hear it too. Right. I, there's probably a reason to keep it to yourself, actually. But um, <laughs> we're in the business of telling everybody what we think, so I guess that's uh, that's the difference. I, I just I don't know. I I understand the situations that are good, and you want to obviously prioritize them. But there's just so many instances where the right defense plays really well and scores barely any fantasy points. And the one yep. that was hard, that looked like it had a horrible matchup and all of a sudden were t- two kick returns, kick return touchdowns. And you're like, well, you're dead when GPPs. Cause you don't have, you know, the bucks away against the, uh, the Steelers, you know, it's like, it, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, I when when in doubt, I usually like uh, you know teams that pressure the quarterback. I like quarterbacks yep. that have to make quick decisions, bad decisions. Team with bad offensive line, so I do look into a lot of that stuff. But like you said, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna change my entire build on it. But uh, you know, I do look for I do look for good spots, and I spend some time on 
on it. But, uh, you know, like I said, like I think I agree with you. I'm, I'm trying to fit my defense in uh, price wise more than anything else. Yes. Yes, for sure. So uh, last week in Get to Know Your Host a little bit, uh, we talked about the, the best events you've been to live. I thought a good a good foil to that might be, uh, you know, we're obviously both big sports fans. Uh, you're a Yankees fan, so you've had a lot of wins. Uh, I grew up as a 49er fan, so I've had a lot of wins there. I'm a Warriors fan, so the last five years have been good. All the last, uh, you know, the 40 years before that pretty much sucked. But um, <laughs> What about uh, what are your most painful losses as a sports fan? What are the what are the couple that uh, you know you remember really feeling awful after? Obviously, we're we're very passionate about this stuff. That's why we do what we do. But what are a couple of the losses that stick with you as, as the most painful as, as a big sports fan? I I'm gonna let you answer this first, um, okay. only because I took up so much time last week. But I also have been lucky enough not to see any like truly horrible ones in person. Um, I do have one, but it's like. My guess is it will not really compare to yours, hopefully. Yeah, mine are not uh, mine are not in person ones, but uh, I've had a my my two worst. I think uh, the the Niners Ravens Super Bowl is one that that sticks with me and sticks with me oh. forever. Um, you know the Niners obviously I, I get I grew up with uh, with five Super Bowl rings, so you know it's one of those things that I probably have a a lifetime of not being able to bitch about the 49ers but they haven't won in a long time i was i was young for a lot of the super bowls um, i was in college when they won their last one so it's been it's been a lot of years since they won but that ravens that ravens one was fun because i mean it, the, the season was so fun we had we had the you know you had the kaepernick moving in for smith and i was a big proponent of him keeping the job it was very controversial at the time and i thought that he presented them an upside that alex smith just didn't present mm -hmm. they had that falcon they had you know they had the packers game where kaepernick went bonkers and like the, the best game you've seen a quarterback play in the playoffs and then you had the falcons game where they were down and came all the way back and the falcons almost scored at the end it was like a game that, like you're just like shaking at the end because they haven't been there in so long and, and they won there you kind of thought that the ravens made a good matchup they upset uh they had that hail mary to upset the broncos i think it was in that in that playoffs and it was like it was a good matchup and all of a sudden the game starts kaepernick there was a pick it goes bad in the first half you know i'm talking to my buddies at halftime like yeah you know we're down but maybe you just get back in this really quick and the ravens return the kickoff for a touchdown you're like oh oh boy <laughs> so much for this I'm one of those people like I hadn't eaten anything that day. I was just kind of nervous. I, I get way too into this stuff. I admit that. And then the Beyonce thing happens. They, she doesn't have them showing the lights go out in the in the middle of the second or the third quarter. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just chilling now. I'm going to get some food. We're going to hang out. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the comeback starts. I think it was 28-10 or whatever. It was a huge comeback. Uh, Gore starts going nuts. Uh, Ray Rice fumbles. And he just had this huge crescendo building. And I had a big party at my house. I tend to not do parties when my teams are playing, but it's a Super Bowl. We kind of do that every year. So I was like, all right, as long as you're not like actively in my face rooting for the Ravens, you can come <laughs> over and watch the games. Like, just be respectful of the fact that I actually care about this game for the first time in a lot of years. And you had this huge crescendo building. They drive all the way down. They get first and goal inside the eight or whatever, the eight yard line. And I'm like, oh my God, they're actually going to come back and win this game. And then you go four plays from inside, inside the 10, mm. you know, the two last plays of Crabtree were just horrible calls. And you know, the, the fourth down play Kaepernick got rushed. He had nothing else to do. But the, the worst thing that really sticks with me, if you go back and watch it on second and goal, they had a play called where they were going to run Kaepernick on a sweep to the left. And Harbaugh came running down the side and call a timeout because they didn't think it was the playoff. They got the play off, and Staley was in front of uh, Kaepernick running running towards the sideline. It was going to be a touchdown. It was a perfect play call. It was going to work perfectly. It was going to be so beautiful. And you, just, you can't fault it because you don't want to get a penalty there. They called timeout, and then they went to a different play. And it just that loss sticks with me. It was a, you know with a bunch of my friends here, and it would have been just the thought of how fun it would have been if they scored there at the end and won the game. Like it was as 
intense and into a game as it's been in a long time. And just that that's one that sticks with me as probably the one that, you know, for an hour after that game, I was actually in physical pain. <laughs> Uh, that sounds pretty awful. What about, uh, what about yours? <laughs> uh, the one that always sticks with me is, um, and it was to prove like the highs and lows of Villanova basketball is the 2009 final four. And it was, it was not even so much the game itself. Um, so they ended up, they beat Pitt in the elite eight on like a Scotty Reynolds, like that full court play that, um, it was like almost at the buzzer and, there was something about that team where like they really weren't that good. Like they weren't, there was no thought of like going to the final four. I mean, they, they were fine. Like they were a good team, but like they weren't like national championship good as it turns out they weren't, but like going to the final four was like so unexpected. And the, all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, like we're almost like uh, Cinderella, like that we're not supposed to be there. I mean, Villanova had obviously won a national championship. They played in, they played in the big East when the big East was still legit back then. Um, But there was this thought like, Oh my gosh, like maybe this, maybe we can do this. And we just got so excited. And um, my, my wife's uncle got us tickets to the final four that year was in Detroit, beautiful uh, Ford field in Detroit. Uh, Oh, what a great place to go on vacation. So um, yeah, my, so it was my my wife who also went to Villanova, um, and two of our friends drove from New York City on Friday night to Detroit. Took us twelve and a half hours, nice. And um, we arrived at like six thirty in the morning. We basically took a nap, and then uh, we woke up around noon. And they have you know Final Four has all these like fan fest things. We skipped it all. We went right to, right to the, this like Villanova reception. Drank for about six and a half hours. <laughs> And um, I remember, uh, I can't remember who was in the other. It was UConn against somebody else. But um, a lot of my family, or my wife's family, is in Connecticut, and they're all huge UConn fans. So there was like a, there were a few of them out there. And UConn got killed in the first game. I don't even remember. We didn't even go to the first game because like we just, we were around a bunch of Villanova people. We were all drinking. Villanova was going to play uh, North Carolina. And the, or maybe it was Michigan State, I think, uh, UConn lost to. Um, but so we got like so excited and like all of a sudden, like we walk in, we're in Ford field. Um, for those who have never been to a final four, if you're, if you look on TV and you're like, boy, a football stadium looks like a really horrible place to watch basketball. You're absolutely right. There's not a it single, so bad. It's, awful. It's, it's hard. It's hard. To, unless you have great seats, it's hard to explain how awful it is to be one of those games in person. Even really good. I mean, the, the, the difficulty with like, if you have really good seats, there's probably like three rows of good seats in the entire place. Like, it, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's bad. It, it's, it's really bad. Um, it's, it's so unnatural for a sporting event to, to have that many like people watching on such a small space in terms of like a football stadium. But anyway, um, we sat in the front row of the so Ford field has two sections, like a, a bottom and top. So we sat in the front right. row of the top and we were like, we, we like walking, we're like row a, like, all right, we know we're not like courtside. We're in the second, but like, this should be good. Nice. And, uh, it's just so far away, just so far away. Um, so, but we sit down and we're all excited. Like we're in the final four. Like we just have to be North Carolina. We're going to go to the national championship game. We're going to win, win a national championship. And we got killed. Like <laughs> the game was not close when it, like, even when the game like looked close, it really wasn't like North Carolina was just so much better. And all of a sudden, like we're sitting there and we're like, we just drove 12 and a half hours to Detroit <laughs> We're going to drive. You got, 
you got you got to drive back at some point. We have to drive back tomorrow. Like we we were like, well, we'll stay. We'll obviously stay until Tuesday because we're going to win on Saturday. And all of a sudden, <laughs> basically at halftime, we're like, we're going home tomorrow, and it's another twelve and a half hours home. Uh, and so it, it wasn't so much like the loss itself. Like eventually you're just like, oh, we were just like, ha- we should have just been happy to be there. And like we were, but like it was the whole experience of like basically spending 25 hours in the car for a two and a half hour basketball game. And then and that, and like the season's then over, like you, we got so into it that year. Cause all of a sudden it was like, you know, you, you're watching the tournament, they're they're advancing, then they have this huge win, the Elite Eight, and you're like, oh my, we're going to win a national championship. And um, and they get killed in the first game out in Detroit. Like, that was the other thing. It's like, we would have stayed, uh, Villanova uh, in 2018 was in New Orleans. So I was like, I, I would have stayed a few days in New Orleans, like, even if they lost. But like, right. I'm not going to spend two extra days in Detroit. Uh, apologies to everybody who lives in Detroit. Um so it was, that's like, that was my worst just because of everything that really like surrounded it as opposed to like the game itself. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned about final four. I went, uh, God, 1998 in, uh, in Indianapolis and we had bad seats in the, what you, what was the Hoosier dome? And like, we sat down and I was like, Oh, I can see like the differences in the Jersey colors. And that was about it. It's just, it's, you're so far away that you kind of feel like you're watching. It's like kind of, you're watching on TV. You're just kind of there, but you're not really there. It's a weird, it's a weird experience. To be a bad seat to the Final Four. Totally. Um, the that, that's a great that's a great uh, example of. I think they they also put microphones uh, by the like around the court, which are like oh those are for the for TV, but they actually play them also in the football stadium. So like you're like oh I can hear yeah. the screeching of their their sneakers, and you're like wait a minute <laughs> that's coming out of a speaker. <laughs> I'm not hearing anything. <laughs> Yeah, and it's weird because it doesn't really get it doesn't really get as loud as you think it would. It's no. in a dome, but everybody's so far away that, and you know, part of it usually is is uh, draped off, and so there's not quite as many people you think in there. It's a it's a weird experience. A, I think Final Four is more fun for the um, day of uh, hanging out and partying, and you know, night after and stuff like that. I think Final Four is really fun, but I think it's more atmosphere than it is like, in pure game watching. It, it's pretty overrated. The I totally agree, and and everywhere they go, they do like these huge fan fests, and all. Yeah, the, yeah. The, it takes over the town that it's in, and, that, uh, and, and that, that part of it's really fun. That part is so much more fun than the actual than the actual games. The other the other weird part is that you've got that Monday night game and you've got two fan bases that lost already and they're trying to like yeah. sell all their tickets. Yeah. They don't want to go to games or if they go, they're not really rooting for anybody. So that Monday night game is even weirder because a half the people there don't have a vested interest and the other, and half the people tried to sell their tickets too. like it's weird walking out of the Saturday night games. There are so many people selling tickets for Monday. Like if you ever go, don't buy tickets on Monday, just scalp tickets on Monday because they're they're so easy to find for Monday whereas Saturday is really tough. Yeah, and people are just desperate to get rid of them because yeah, you, they're, they're, they're pissed off. And yeah, they're, I was going to say, take advantage and, of that yeah. highly vulnerable situation and just <laughs> yeah. get your cheap national championship tickets. Yeah, so my, uh, I, I root for Stanford. They made it once uh, in 1998 and it was uh, the year that Madsen dunked Madsen. on Rhode Island and went to the Final Four. So a little bit a little bit there like the, the, the huge Elite Eight win too and then they went to the Final Four and they're actually leading by 10 in the second half and lost in overtime to Kentucky. That was a, that was a tough one but uh, it was a little more like I was just happy to be there because they hadn't, hadn't been there since 1942. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. my other one and I'll, I'll go quick because we kind of run long here. My, uh, my early 2000s Oakland A's uh, I love those teams. The Giambi, Tejada, Eric sure. Chavez teams. Tim Hudson's like my favorite pitcher ever. I love Mark Mulder, uh, Barry Zito, yeah, whatever. But, uh, you know, uh, those teams were so good and never advanced past the first round. Yeah. 
around. And it's just a shame that everybody's like, oh, Billy Bean's so smart, but he can't win a World Series, stupid stuff like that. But the way they lost, in, you know, 2000, they lost in game five, but they lost the Yankees. And the Yankees team was better. And it's kind of one of those things that, like, happy to be there. 2001, they had a 2 nothing lead on the Yankees, and they had the Giambi slide in game three. You had a, a painfully pitched game in game four, and the Yankees just beat him in five. But you're like, oh, it's the Yankees. And the 2-0 hurt. And then the year after, they they had a lead. They, they were on the Twins, and they lost Game Five at home. Was really tough. So it was like three years in a row, just awful, awful Game Five losses. But 2003, they're up two nothing on the Red Sox. Um, they lost Game Three after Miguel Tejada stopped because he got an interference. That was going to interference call. They didn't call it. Eric Burns would have been safe at home, but didn't touch home plate, and they lost an extra inning home run. Then Game Four, they're up. They got Keith Folk on the mound, and of course David Ortiz hits a double to take the lead. But you're like. It's just so bad. Jermaine Dye hit a home run that game and gave him a lead, and I'm going nuts. And you're just like, they can't lose in game five again. Game five, they go home. Manny Ramirez hits a three on home run, like the fifth inning off Zito. You're like, here we go again. But they get within 4-3. You go to the ninth inning, and you're like, all right, here we go. The, the one spot the Red Sox were kind of weak that year, they kind of moved guys around the bullpen. Uh, Scott Williamson comes in, walks two guys. You're like, all right, here we go. They bunt them over. You got second and third, one out, and you're like, all right, finally, at least they're going to tie the game. We're going to extra innings. Derek Lowe, who <laughs> just as an ass as it is, comes in, uh, strikes out. They, they pinch hit for Jermaine Dye, which made no sense because a fly ball guy, and you're like, all right, we just need a sack fly. Pinch hit for him with the famous Adam Melhuse. Of course, strikes out looking. They walk the bases loaded, and I'm like, oh, I just can't believe they're going to lose this way. There's no way they're going to lose the game this way. Terrence Long comes up, takes strike three looking on a, on a kind of a – a, a, a two-seam fastball that cut back over the over the plate. Uh, strikeout looking. And I just remember like just feeling so empty. And then Derek Lowe did his his crotch chop towards yeah. the A's dugout. And I'm like, do I break my TV? Do I just like, <laughs> roll up in a ball? Like, how do I react to this? But just one of those ones, like it was force. It was not just that one loss, that one series. Like it was impossibly lost those last three games. Like the win probability on those must have been all three off the charts yeah. uh, to lose all three of them. But four years in a row losing game five and all you hear about was the Billy Bean stuff and can't win the game in the playoffs and all that absurd garbage. But uh, that was uh, that was one that uh, that really stuck with me. Those two losses. I've had some tough ones over the last uh, few years. But uh, obviously the, the Warriors, the Warriors 3-1 loss was really tough. Just more for kind of in the Twitter era of hearing all that crap constantly yeah. day after day after day. But, you know, they had won the year before. They won the year after. That one's uh, been kind of muted a little bit uh, in terms of painful losses. To go back to the A's, did you call the Jeter flip play the Giambi slide? I, I, I did, and I... I will I will live and die with that. But if the guy freaking slides, there is no Jeter flip play. <laughs> For the love of God, get down. My God, oh it's the my playoffs. God. The, uh, the Giambi slide play. You said that, and I was like, what play is he talking? I'm like, oh, is he really <laughs> calling the Jeter's flip play? In, uh, in, in this part of the country, it is. Okay, I get it. The Giambi slide yeah. play, 100%. <laughs> but yes, it is. I am talking about the Jeter flip play. I actually have a big Jared Jeter fan. That's an unbelievable play. Like, mm-hmm. he shouldn't have been there. Mm-hmm. He's not the cutoff guy. And that's even more annoying that, like, he shouldn't have been there. It's shouldn't just a great there. play. But freaking slide. And we're not even talking about this crap. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just had to clarify that for myself uh, and the listeners. Uh, yes, Yankees fan. <laughs> and yes, Yankees fan. <laughs> So anyway, uh, thanks for everybody listening to this ramble. Hopefully you enjoy the shenanigans part. I, I really like uh, I really like talking about it. It's always fun to talk uh, a little uh, general sports with, with Andrew. So uh, but thanks everybody for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast sponsored by Yahoo Fantasy Sports. We greatly appreciate you listening. Uh, if you have any topics you want us to discuss and you want us to hit up uh, to hit us up on Twitter. I am at Scott Jensted. Andrew, you're at, at Rotowire. Andrew, did I get that right this time? That's it. 
at Rotowire Andrew. Uh, hit us up out there if you have any topics you want to discuss over the next uh, month here before the season starts. We really start breaking down slates. Uh, feel free to do that. We're happy to uh, happy to talk about whatever uh, you think we uh, would be a good talk. Like so. Other than that, thanks for listening, and hope everybody has a good fantasy week. Take care. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.